Well, good morning, Bear Valley Church. I am so excited and honored to be with you to open up God's Word. Uh, again, my name is Kent Schlecht. Um, so what I am, I, I'm actually a church planning resident. Yeah, so I'm working with the Evangelical Free Church of America. I'm doing a residency in Arizona, and uh, that's been a really fun and great experience. That's coming to an end, and I'll be moving back to California really soon to start a church in Bakersfield. I'll talk more about that later on. Uh, but it's just an honor to be here with you all. Uh, this church has a very special place in my heart. Uh, from growing up in the youth group right over there, uh, learning guitar or trying to play guitar, I think they used to like turn me off most of the time. But I would play and I'd put my heart into it all I could, right? Uh, whether it was like growing up and get, I got my first job here cleaning toilets. So thank you, Leonard Dehart. Uh, he'd always help me scrub those. Well, he didn't help me, honestly. He told me how I did it wrong and helped me do it better. And I needed that. I needed that. Uh, or was it like in doing an internship here? I did two internships in the summer, uh, learning how to preach and do ministry. I just love this church. And I'm so grateful for you all and the partnership you have with me and what you've poured into me so far. And um, I look forward to many more years of partnership. Well, today I want us to be opening up our Bibles to the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes this morning on this Palm Sunday. And I want us to be examining this book and its, its whole message. So we're, we're not going to go verse by verse through the entire book of Ecclesiastes because I think you want lunch and you might want to go to work on Monday. And so we want to we walk through and want to give the summary of the entire book of its message and what it's meant for us. And as we open up to the book of Ecclesiastes this morning, it's asking us all this one question. What is the pursuit that gives meaning to our lives. Think about that question. What is the pursuit that brings meaning to our lives? See, there's a pursuit happening in each and every one of our lives. We're all striving for something. We're all looking to get something from this world. We long for satisfaction and meaning. And for some, you know, it, we might be trying to find that in the next high score of Candy Crush or some other mindless game they're playing, right? I don't know if it's Saga, or I don't know the, the, what the game is anymore. But some of us are trying to get it through just the, the mundane things of this world. Other of us are trying to get it through achievement, maybe at work or in education, or maybe it's in weight gain or weight loss. I'm not sure what's in right now. If we're trying to gain or lose weight now, probably lose weight, right? Maybe it's your exercise routine. Maybe it's just bettering yourself. Maybe that's your pursuit. That's the, the sole reason why you get up in the morning to, to be a better you. But as we open up the God's word, we're going to see that these things do not satisfy us. No matter how many commitments, achievements we set, goals, resolutions, these don't work. They're not meant to satisfy us. And as we open up to Ecclesiastes, ultimately we're going to see that a meaningful life can only come from the pursuit of God. So we're going to look at the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes and the very end of a few verses in between. But we're going to see how the pursuit of created things differs from the pursuit of God. So let's jump into the beginning of the book of Ecclesiastes. So starting Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1. Go ahead and open up your Bibles there. Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 1. Follow along with me. It says, the words of the preacher the son of David, king in Jerusalem. So we're just going to pause here and we're just going to reflect on what it's saying. So it's saying that the author of this book of Ecclesiastes is the preacher 
It's an incognito name. Uh, in other translations, if you have a different translation than me, I have the ESV, that's what I'm preaching from. If you have a different translation, you might see teacher, which is, is it's the same meaning. It's the same idea. But it's really this incognito name. Uh, he never gives his proper name. We don't find out the exact name of the author. He just goes by the preacher. But he does give us hints and clues throughout the book. In fact, verse 1 tells us a clue. It says, the son of David. King of Jerusalem. Now, he reiterates this in verse 12. I, the preacher, chapter 1, verse 12, is that I, the preacher, have been king over over Israel in Jerusalem. So, not to nerd out, but it's important because he repeats it. He doesn't give his proper name, but he continues to give his credentials. He continues to show who he is. And so, ultimately, when I look into this and we think about who is a son of David, who is king in Jerusalem, it has to be someone who was born after David, so it couldn't be David, but it has to be Solomon or one of his sons. Well, as we look at it, Solomon's son, especially Rehoboam, was not king of Israel in Jerusalem. So it has to be King Solomon. King Solomon's the only one that fits this category. And as we see that Rehoboam lost the northern part of the kingdom as it was divided from him. But nowhere in the book does it actually give Solomon give his name Solomon. However, it clearly describes him as he talks about his, his adventures, his, his, his status, and what he's been able to accumulate in this life. Check out chapter 12, verse 4. It says there, chapter two, I'm sorry, chapter 2, not chapter 12, chapter 2, verse 4. It says, I have made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I also, I had also great possessions of herds and flocks more than any who had come before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. See, Solomon was incredibly wealthy. He was a tremendous builder. He was wise beyond anyone who had ever lived. So it wouldn't be beyond or a stretch of the imagination for this to be Solomon and be the author or the preacher of this book. See, all of this, everything he describes about his life and all of his accomplishments highlights his pursuit in this life. And Solomon had everything one could desire in this world. Anything you could think of, he had. Anything we can dream of, he possessed. And all of his pursuits of meaning and value is summed up in the beginning of chapter 1, verse 2. Check it out. Chapter 1, verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. So we're talking about vanity. We're not talking about fashion or fashion magazine, Vanity Fair. And we're not talking about narcissism like vain. Someone is vain. What what he means by vanity is what the NIV translates this word as meaningless. It's actually a very concrete word. And this is how the Hebrews would think. They would have word pictures. And the word picture that comes here is the word for vapor, a breath. You know, getting out this morning and being reminded of being in Tatchby, because I'm now a little cold-blooded being in Phoenix. (laughs) It was a little cold. And I get made fun of because of that. My nephews actually make fun of me. And so I'm outside and I can actually see my breath. And I realize it's cold. But it's interesting about a breath, right? It's there for a moment and it's gone. Unlike the frost on my windshield that I have to scrape, right? 
frost stays, you have to scrape, you have to remove, you have to do some work. It has some lasting result, but your breath doesn't. It's there for a moment and gone. It's temporary. It's momentary. And when we read through the book of Ecclesiastes, he describes life in these terms. can almost seem a little fatalistic. It can seem kind of pessimistic. He's kind of a downer, right? Like if we were in the 100-acre woods, right? So you guys got kids, right? 100-acre woods. He'd be Eeyore, right? Life's so sad. No one's my friend. And you got to start wondering like, man, isn't there something good? At least something good? Is God not the creator? Is that something good in this life? And so you kind of get this feeling that he is just super, a super downer. But that's not the point of this book. And I think many times as I've opened up the book of Ecclesiastes and I've struggled with its sayings and what it was what it was saying and, and the meaning of it, I, I sometimes struggle to understand the, po- the, the positive side of it. But th- that's the, the being negative is not the point of what Solomon's trying to get at. But rather, his point is this. A meaningful life can only be found in the pursuit of God. A, a meaningful life can only be found in the pursuit of God. When you pursue anything else, it leaves you empty. Because here's a guy, right? He's pursued everything in this world. He's had every opportunity. He's got everything his heart could desire. And he says, at the end of it all, he sums it up as vapor. As chasing after wind. Meaningless. We have to hear that. There's no, there's no value to be found in the pursuit of things. See, and that's our first point today, that the, the pursuit of things, when we, when we pursue created things, it leaves us empty. The pursuit of created things leaves us empty. But the world tells us differently, right? The world tells us that, 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 that we can pursue things and they should fill us up and give us happiness and joy, but that's not the truth. And Solomon points it out. Just listen how he illustrates what he means by vanity of vanities. If that wasn't clear enough, he's going to go deeper for us. So look at verse 3. It says, what does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Essentially, what he's saying here, and the question is, what do you get from all the blood, sweat, and tears? He's going to answer it. Verse 4, a generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuit, the wind returns. All streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. So the fact is, people come and people go. The sun rises and it sets. The wind blows and it blows again. The water flows and it flows again. These are outside of our control. We cannot control these. This is timeless and universal. right? Nations rise, nations fall. The stock market goes up. Stock market goes down. Health comes and health goes. The water's here. The rains are here. The drought comes. These are all things that happen. These are cycles that are just normal to what it means to live in this world. And the fact is that we cannot be consumed with created things that are outside of our control. We can't put our hope, our joy, and our expectation into these things. Now, not to say they don't affect us. They for sure affect us but they should not consume our lives or be the pursuit of our lives. Why? Because of what happens when you pursue these things. And the preacher is going to bring it right here in verse eight. 
Look down at it. Chapter 1, verse 8. All things are full of weariness. All things are full of weariness. He gets to this point, this chasing, this going after, this, this, this vanity of vanities. What is it? It creates someone's full of weariness. This word weariness actually means exhaustion, like someone's gone out to dig and to work hard, and they've come to the point where they just fall over, exhausted, depleted, left on empty. This is a profound statement of the pursuit of created things. This is what that leads to, a place of emptiness, of loneliness. See, we ultimately cannot control our lives. And this can leave us searching and longing for more left empty and lonely. Jesus gives this warning in Matthew 6, 34. He says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you put your hope and meaning into each day and what you can get out of it, you will just find trouble. Purposeless. Chasing after wind. Our health is fragile. Our economy is way more up and down than what makes us feel comfortable. And it can leave us feeling anxious and empty. We cannot put our hope and the pursuit of our lives on things that God has created. Rather, we should aim our pursuit at him. Ecclesiastes continues, verse 8. He says, a man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. This place that weirdness leads you is a place where words and sight and hearing don't work. This reiterates the emptiness of this place. Good verse 9, he says, What has been is what will be, and what will be done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. That sounds very fatalistic, <laughs> very deterministic, doesn't it? Like, oh, well, give up, right? Like, there's nothing worth living for then. True, if we're living for the creation rather than the creator. It can leave us feeling everything is outside of our control. Because it is. Because we are not God. God is sovereign. He's in control. I love verse 10. He continues, Is there a thing of which it said, See, this is new. It has already been in ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of latter things yet to be among those who come after. I love those verses because it just reminds me of our frailty, of what we think of what a name can bring. You know, I, I want to think about this, like seeking after the creation. There's no, there's no higher thing that you can seek than yourself. It's the wrong pursuit, but it's the highest of the created order. When we try to make life about us, and when I think about trying to make life about myself or your life about yourself, we try to make a name for ourselves. We try to get known or or to make it in the world. But for what purpose? To be forgotten? Because that's what these verses say, that people come up and people forget them. They go to past times. I think about how each generation comes and they, they forget whose shoulders they stand on, right? And there's a desire as we get older to remind the next generation of whose shoulders they're standing on, right? But we want them to know because they forget and they, they don't know that. You know, uh, for me, it's just uh, an illustration for this is uh, the iPhone, the iPhone. I, I think about the iPhone. Uh, 
what amazing technology and the amount of technology that it's in it. I take it for granted, right? I have an iPhone 6, which is now old, okay? So maybe this is newsworthy. That's old. Uh, it's ancient, okay? And when I look at other people who have like the X, 10, 12, you know, 100, whatever, I don't know what the new X phone, iPhone is, right? X stands for 1,000, I guess, because that's how much it is now. And so when I look at that, I'm like, I can't get that phone, okay? So I look at my phone with contempt. I'm like, well, this is a piece of junk. But in high school, like I would just like look at pictures of the iPhone on a, on a, on a piece of paper and go, wow, look at that thing, right? It's so new. But even that which is new is now old. And that which is new now will be old. I think back in high school, even when my mom got a razor, we were like way behind on the times, but she got a razor phone as a flip phone. It was like the coolest thing. And I was like, can't wait for mom to upgrade to a new phone that I might get it. But I think one of my sisters got it. But anyways, it was like so cool. But now it's just a flip phone. And we seek and we search for these things, but they don't bring meaning and purpose. Things get out of date. Growing up, uh, we loved playing games in my house. We love playing games. There's a game that we uh, would get into, and it was a whole family game. It was called Tribond. Tribond. It's kind of like Trivial Pursuit, but it must have been like the poor man's version because that's what we bought. Um, and so Tribond. And so what it would do is you'd have all these categories, and you would roll dice and would choose the category. And, and, and then what happened was is uh, the category would have three things. There's three things that it would have in common, right? So Tribond. And so you had to figure out what's the common denominator between these three things. It's kind of like an SAT test, which I hated. So I, I'm sitting there, and um, the worst category for us was entertainment. Why? Because they're all based on the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and maybe some 80s uh, entertainment. And I didn't know who these people were. I didn't know what shows these were. And my dad, I remember, he'd always get the card and go, oh, this is so easy. And I'm like, who are these people, right? And see, this is the point, right? They're famous. Well, at least they were. Isn't that how fame works? And the generations come behind us. My, my daughters for sure don't know who those people were. And I could give names, but it'd be worthless because some of us wouldn't know who they are. That's the danger of fame with trying to make a name for ourselves. In the end, that's what this verse is saying, that you're forgotten. You're not remembered. Some might push back, hey, well, we live in an information technology age. And so all the things are available to us on Wikipedia. Well, even then, it takes a human to remember, doesn't it? You can have it on a website, but if no one ever visits it, they're not remembered. It doesn't matter what you live for, do you live for yourself? We cannot be in the pursuit to make our name great. This is meaningless and it leaves us empty because it's a pursuit of self rather than God. So what is the pursuit of our lives? What should it be? We're going to now go to the back of the end of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Go ahead and turn there with me. Chapter 12, Ecclesiastes chapter 12. I want you to look at verse 13. So what is the pursuit of our lives? Look at this verse. Chapter 12, verse 13 says this, the end of the matter, all has been heard. I, I love that. He's saying, okay, listen, we've, we've gone through everything. We've heard it all. This is what I mean. He's summarizing what he's been working towards. All that this is. What is the pursuit? Here it is. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. To say it another way, the whole pursuit of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. The whole pursuit of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. 
And what do I mean by fearing God? How do we fear God? Well, this means to honor him with our lives, to go his way rather than our own way, and to keep his commandments. See, we have to remember, sin is going our own way, trusting and acting on our own opinions and feelings instead of God's truth. And when we seek to honor him with our lives, we are trusting and acting on his way over our own. See, God calls us in the pursuit of himself. See, the Bible says this in many different ways as it expresses verse 13, right? Verse 13 says, fear God and keep his commandments. Well, Jesus says it elsewhere, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Or else he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Or elsewhere it said in the New Testament that you are ambassadors of Christ given the ministry of reconciliation, helping people find their relationship with God. They're brought back into reconciled life with Jesus. See, the reality is that no matter what work you do, what job you have, your first and primary role is to be an ambassador of Christ, to be a minister of reconciliation. So while you may be a teacher, you are actually a minister of the gospel disguised as a teacher. If you're a retiree, that you actually are a minister of the gospel disguised as a retiree, right? That you golf, but you're, that's not your main occupation, right? That if you're a police officer, that you are a minister of the gospel, a minister of reconciliation disguised as a police officer. And this is what we are called to. This is our pursuit of God. We do this by remembering God and what he's done for us, seeing life through different lenses. We allow what he's done for us to affect what we do. We start seeing from God's perspective and we start helping others do the same. We start telling them about God and engaging in conversations so that their lives might be changed, that they might see the truth, that the spirit of God might unveil their eyes and they might come to a knowledge of Jesus. See, this lines up with the purpose and mission of the church. Seek and save the lost, to make disciples of all people. That means using you both here within the walls of the church as you serve God, as you, as you love people and welcome them here, but it sure means wherever else you go, to school, work, to your home, to your neighborhood, to your gym, wherever God leads you, pursue him as you help others find their way into relationship to God. This gives us purpose and meaning that ultimately brings satisfaction in this life. So what does this pursuit of God lead to? What does it produce in us? Well, I just said that. It's our second point today. The pursuit of God satisfies us with joy. It satisfies us with joy. The pursuit of God satisfies us with joy. We all long for joy-filled lives. People call it the pursuit of happiness, but it's really joy. That no matter what goes on in my life, I have a contentment and a consistency and a confidence that I'm satisfied. And this can only be found in God. See, this pursuit shouldn't fill us with boredom or apathy but should fill us with excitement that we get to join God right where he is when what he's doing in the world. It should give us purposeful joy, purposeful joy. Let's look back at chapter 12, verse one. He's, he's gonna explain what, he, what it takes to have this purposeful joy. <laughs> look at chapter 12, verse one. He says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. Before the evil days come and the years draw near of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Now, he's talking to youth, 
but I don't want that to be a thing where you hear that and maybe tune out your ears or maybe you're like, I'm young. So, okay, well then you're included. Okay. But he's ending his chapter 11 that he was directly speaking to youth. Now, chapter 11 is an amazing verse, amazing verses about being young and how to follow God while you're young. And so those are great verses. I encourage if you're young, go back and read them and rest in time. Dig into those. Those are great. That God's word is, is great in that way. It's a ton of encouragement. But even if it's aimed at the youth, this application is meant to hit all of us. See, let me simplify what he's saying here. He tells them that if they do not remember their creator, then they'll have no pleasure in their days. Remember their creator, they'll have no pleasure in their days. Now, if they do remember, they get pleasure in their days. They get to look back and see joy and purposeful joy fill their lives. So how do we join God in this pursuit? I mean, that's really what we're getting at. Cause it's like, that's, that's nice that, you know, you're kind of a pastor. You're trying to do something weird, like plan a church. And so you're telling me all this stuff, but what exactly do I do? How, how do I do this? How do I get this? Well, it's very clear. Remembering chapter 12, verse one says, remember, there's something important about remembering. See, when we remember what God has done for us in Jesus, this gets us kick-started. This helps us start pursuing God once more because when we're reminded of what Jesus has done for us, that should excite our hearts to tell other people. That should excite our hearts to live lives that give God glory and engage other people. So how do you actually do this? Well, I'm gonna give you one, one thing and I've got a few others. I'll give you one thing. Just stop for a moment and take a, take a second to reflect on what God has done for you. Maybe it's been some time. Maybe, maybe you feel that you're in that dead, lonely, and depleted state. Maybe you're a believer and you, you've known Jesus for some time, but you're just feeling the anxiety of this world. You're feeling just the loneliness. And what you need to be reminded of what God has done for you in Jesus. Remember the great victories, the great things that God has done for us. And reflect on that and consider it. You know what? This is why people wake up in the morning and read their Bible and pray. Not to get to heaven not to make themselves better people so God sees them and loves them and lets them into the gates of heaven. No, they get up each morning to be reminded of the mercies of God, to be reflecting on that, and then to be to take that and engage in what God is doing around them. It's not just an exercise of learning more. It's an exercise of falling in love more. It's an exercise of being caught with something that's infectious that, that makes you want to reach out and love other people. Because that's what the knowledge of God does for us. It affects us in our daily lives and it helps us pursue God each, more each day. Reading your Bible is a great way to kickstart this pursuit of God. If you're not currently doing it, I encourage you to start with a verse of the day. You know, there's great apps out there. There's great websites. If you just start there, a verse of the day, it won't keep the devil away, but it will help. It will help you pursue God and I encourage you to do it. Another important way is that we gather each week for church. It, it, we don't just sing songs because they sound good or they're interesting to us. It's because they have the word of God in them and they have the victories and what God has done for us in the past and we're being reminded of it every time we sing. Uh, that's why Zach's up here trying to explain like, no, this song actually like has a lot of encouragement for us. You know, you guys can actually get excited about that. That's super important that we hear this like, when we sing these songs, they remind us of what God has done for us. But then we get to come together like this and we get to hear God's word opened. 
and we get to hear the victories and the blessings and what God has done for us in the past. And we get to believe that he's going to do them in the future. As, he, as, he sees new, as we see new life come from, from deadness, and we get to see people come to life and belief in Jesus. There's something human about forgetting, right? Like as I've gotten older, I walk into rooms and I just forget. And, I, and I'm young still, right? I'm young. But I still, I, I still forget. It's just what being human is, right? Like it's part of this. I, I don't understand why, but I just forget things easily. And we act as if in the Christian life, we believed once and this should be good enough. We have to be reminded of our belief. I have to wake up each day. And when I don't do this, I have a bad day. When I wake up each day, I'd say, God, I believe in the gospel. I believe in your son. I, I, I'm, I'm rejoicing in what Jesus has done for me. I'm reminded of his mercies. And I walk in that. And I try not to forget it. You get to join God as we pursue him. So I encourage you to find the rhythms and the tools, the things that work for you. And take those to heart and be reminded of what Jesus has done for you. And rejoice. Take part in the pursuit of God. It's interesting. So I um, grew up in this church. I, I, I fell in love with ministry. And, and I've, I've, I've been dedicating my life to a pursuit of God. But different seasons, you pursue God in different ways. And a recent season for me has been answering the call to become a church planner in Bakersfield. And this, uh, this call uh, is kind of an interesting one because I was called to actually leave Bakersfield to move to Arizona for like a year. And so that was a hard thing. And we moved my family out to Arizona to do a residency at a church called Compass Church as I ch- pursued church planning. And I'm incredibly thankful for many people who have been praying for us, specifically this church for supporting us and Pastor Kevin's leadership and coaching in my life. I'm really thankful for this. And your partnership has given me the space and time to learn and grow, um, as I like to say, a budding church planner. Uh, Pastor Kevin told me I'm not a church planner because I haven't planted a church, right? And so my goal is to go down to Bakersfield and see what God will do through our work. So in June, we're heading back to Bakersfield to plant this church called the Grove Church. I'm excited to see this new venture, what this new venture brings about. As God draws people to himself, as he opens the eyes of the blind, that people would see the truth of the gospel and respond and get new life. To see God transform lives through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we get to be partakers of this, and I'm excited to see this. And that's why I want to plant the church. I don't want to plant a church so I can have people that I can stand before and yell at. No, I want to plant a church that new life might come out of it. That we might see people come to faith in Jesus for the first time, or maybe people who have walked away from faith come back to Jesus. We want to plant the Grove Church to see new lives affected by the gospel. And if new lives are going to be changed by the gospel, it's going to take a courageous dose of risk. It takes risk in order to, to, to see lives change. It takes going out and actually starting a conversation with somebody. Moving beyond my comfort zone, because you might look at me and go, well, well, that guy pursues God because, you know, he's a pastor. But I don't pursue God because, like, it's naturally in me. Because God is so much better and so much greater and what his message is, it compels me to move. And it compels me to risk for his namesake. Because I know if I'm with Jesus, I'm in a safe place. I don't want to make a name for myself. I want to make a name for him. And ultimately, this this opportunity I have gets to be our opportunity. So I would love for you to join me in this. 
And first and foremost, please, 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 please pray for me and my family. Uh, we've, uh, we are going out to Bakersfield and we're going to need uh, lots of prayer. Now, you might see me and you say, wow, that guy is not prepared at all to be a church planner. All the more reason for you to pray, okay? All the more reason. So whatever you see lacking in me, pray harder, okay? And I, I, I want you to do that. Um, I've got a few of these cards back there on the counter. Please pick one up. Um, I don't have a ton of them, but please, if you just take those, um, you can just take that and pray for us. There's also a little QR code on that. Um, we also have a website I'm going to put up here. Um, this is the, the way you can sign up for our newsletters uh, so that you can be better informed about what we're doing. Uh, they come out every other month, so it's bi-monthly. It's, at least that's what I was told that means. And so it's every other month. And so you can be, get that. You can be praying for us and encouraging us. And we would be so grateful for your prayers. It would mean the world to Danielle and I and our three baby girls. Okay, so three baby girls. So please, please be praying for that. Um, you can also help us by uh, becoming financial supporters. Uh, you can help us by, God might be moving in your hearts to do that. God might even be moving in your heart to join us. And so I'm not ignorant that, what it's only like 30 miles away, right? And so Bakersfield's not that far. So God might be moving in your heart to come and help us plant this church. And I would love to talk to you more. Or you might know somebody in Bakersfield that would love to help us. Or that maybe they're just far from Jesus. Well, connect me with them. I'd love to tell them a little bit more about Jesus. And this just might be the place that God has for them, that he's, he's prepared for them, that they might find that new life and that connection back to God. I'd be honored for your help and your prayers in any way. So grateful as we start this church, the Grove Church. So God might be calling some of us to this work. And so I encourage you to get the prayer cards, go to this website, because it's a super simple website to go to. So you might have to really write, write that down well. And if you have any, any problems, just contact me. I have some cards also out on the table. So please grab one of those. You can email me or call me. I'd love to talk to you more. But for the rest of us, what, what do we do with this? How, how do we pursue God? So that's great. You're, you're pursuing God as you're planning a church. And, and, and maybe some of you are like, we're pursuing God as we're doing ministry here. But what about for the rest of us that, are, that just, that they need a kickstart? There's something going on. Maybe there's something preventing you from pursuing God. Then I have to ask you this question as we end the sermon. What is the pursuit of your life? What are you longing for? What are you, what are you seeking to satisfy your life? What are you putting your hope in? So the book of Ecclesiastes ends with these verses, which stand as a warning for us all. Look down at verse 14. Chapter 12, verse 14. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. There's nothing that will be hidden from God. There's nothing that will be hidden from God. Now, that might sound like a scary thing, and, and, and I don't think it's meant to be a scary thing for us as Christians. But it can be a scary thing. Why? Because God is holy and he's pure. So look at Isaiah chapter 6 and his response. Like, I am, I come from a people of unclean lips. I have unclean lips. And he's falling on his face. He's scared of God's presence. God's presence brings a revealing thing. But when we have new life in him, it's not a scary thing. It's just a revealing thing. He's going to lay bare. All the secret things will be not secret anymore. I have a three-year-old daughter. And uh, one day I came into the kitchen during the holiday season. And she was like in this corner awkwardly, right? Like you just knew something was going on as a parent. You know, your parent radar goes on. And I see her. 
she kind of squatted down. And I come around the corner and she is just covered in chocolate. She's got a bag of chocolate. So I asked the parent question, what's going on? And she looks at me and she kind of hides. She's trying to hide the chocolate, right? And it's like, it's somewhat adorable, right? And, and so like as a parent, I always struggle. Like, how do I respond to this, right? And so I said, are you doing something? Um, or, uh, I said, are you doing something wrong? She goes, yes. I'm like, okay, what are you doing? And she just tells me. She's like, I got into the chocolate I wasn't supposed to. She has that repentant heart. There's nothing that softens a father's heart to his children than when they have repentant hearts. There's something about it just like, oh, just love you, right? Show mercy, grace. You know, there's times I have to, you know, get the get swatting. But when I see that repentance, that lessens the discipline for sure. But there's another side to that, that when you see hardness of heart, when you see the stubbornness and the rebellion there's nothing that brings my wrath and fury than when I see stubbornness in my children. It's the same with us and God. See, in Jesus, we have forgiveness of sins. If you're a Christian today, there might be something in your life you're hiding. And God today might be looking at you saying, what are you doing? You might start hiding. I encourage you, ask God to give you a soft heart, and repent and, and, and receive the mercy of God. But there is something else here that, that, that God is holy. And he will reveal the thing. And if, it, if it's evil and we're holding on to it, that clenched fist, God will take it from us. God will take it from us. It's just going to hurt a whole lot more. I encourage you to surrender it to God. So whatever you're hiding, stop holding back. Stop keeping it inside. I believe he sees how you're hurting. He wants to show his grace. He, he, wants, to see, he wants to see repentance and soft-heartedness. In fact, 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. He's going to come hard. But, right, verse, eight, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is what he does for us in Jesus. And so for you today, if you're a Christian and there's something in your heart that you've been holding on to, that you've been keeping a secret, that you, you've been keeping from God. I mean, as, as silly as that is, I've done this lots of times. I'm like, oh, I'm not going to tell God about it, even though he knows. And there's like, what are we playing a game? But God loves us and he wants to forgive us. We just need to confess it. Show our soft hardness, surrender. You may be here. And after hearing all this, you might say, I'm not a Christian. And if God knows all that, God knows all that I've done. There's a lot God has on me. I'm broken. I'm, I'm lost. I'm hurting. What do I have to do? Because I, I don't want God to come hard against me. I, I don't want to have, have his wrath on me. Well, I'm going to encourage you. There's nothing you can do to make yourself right before God. But rather, you have to fall on his mercy. You have to admit your sin. You have to tell them that you cannot do it, that you've been trying in your life. And that you want to fall under the mercy of God through Jesus. Start this day by trusting Jesus. Stop trusting yourself. Stop pursuing your own ways. Stop going your path and start pursuing God through Jesus Christ through faith. Trusting him this day. You know, if that's you, I, I want to encourage you. If, if God's just stirring your heart for the first time, or maybe there's a repentance thing that you need to talk to someone else about, I encourage you to come talk to Zach, to myself. We'd love to tell you more about what faith in Jesus might look like and how you might have that relationship with God. We're going to follow up with you in that. Please do that.
It says today is the day of salvation. Do not wait. Our days are counted. Our days are, are, are not given to us in a sense of like promised. We don't have tomorrow. I encourage you to make this right before God now through Jesus. For the rest of us, let us pursue God that we might give him glory and see his, his will and his glory throughout the earth. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. God, I'm so grateful for what you are doing here at Bear Valley Church. God, I, I pray that you would stir in many of our hearts that we might see a bigger picture of your mission, a bigger picture of our purpose in this life, Lord, that we don't see our life as being fully purposeful by just showing up to church and singing songs. But God, that we would see our purpose as going out and being your ambassadors and telling more people about you. That we come, that we get to reflect and sing of your grace and your glory and your goodness every day. God, I pray that you would help each believer in this room, that, that they would be reminded of your mercy each morning and that they would walk faithfully and, and, and strong in your way. And God, I pray for those that you're moving in their hearts now. God, I pray that you would just put a conviction on their hearts, that they would make a decision, that they would make a, have a conversation, that they would not leave today without talking with someone. God, we, we just pray for your glory and for your name to be made known. And to Hatchby, in Bakersfield, in Kern County, in California, around the world. We pray this in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen.